Welcome to Eerie Essex. I'm Bethan Briggs-Miller. And I'm Ailsa Clark. Thank you for joining us on our journey into the stranger side of the county. We will be exploring the folklore, urban legends and supernatural encounters that form part of its rich history. Well, hello there, and welcome to a special episode of Eerie Essex. This episode is the first one of its kind for us. We're going to be doing a listener story that Bethan very kindly recorded a while back, and we're really excited to introduce it to you. It does follow on from our theme of roads, so consider this our bonus episode on roads. This story comes from Christian Jensen Roller, or CJ as he's better known to his friends. He is the chairman of the Association for the Scientific Study of Anomalous Phenomena, or ASAP, and a member of the Society for Psychical Research, and he's worked on such TV programmes as Most Haunted. Here CJ shares a personal story with us, set in North Essex. So this is a story, it's quite an embarrassing story because it's quite a personal story, from uh, the late 80s and back in the late 80s I'd had a weird experience up in Norfolk which doesn't really count does it where I'd seen an apparition at Fetford Priory with four other guys in broad daylight and in the 90s we made a TV show about that which you may or may not have seen but um, this happened just a few months after that and what had happened is having seen a ghost and having grown interest in the whole subject because up till then I'd thought only mad people see ghosts and I'm not mad. So and when my parents told ghost stories, I, I used to laugh and think that it's just further proof that they were idiots and that I knew better than my parents, which I think is normal to many teenagers. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, you know, all children know better. But on this occasion, I, my, my whole mental universe had been a bit shaken up. And so me and my friends got quite interesting ghost stories and it was an evening uh, we were sitting around and I was talking to my mother. I used to call her Audrey. Her name was June, but she was known as Audrey because there were so many Junes at work at the West Suffolk Hospital where she worked. So anyway, you didn't need to know that, but <laughs> uh, poor old girl, she died last year. Oh, so no. we were sitting around chatting and she told me I saw a ghost once. And I looked at her as if she was mad because I knew she'd seen it. She, she thought she'd seen a figure step out in front of the car in Norfolk at the Three Nuns Bridges, but I was in the car with her at the time. So it clearly wasn't that she was going to tell me that. She said. So she started her story and she said it was down in Essex. And she said, but you shouldn't go there. I thought, well, Essex? Well, we should drive down to Southend by Gauntlet at the pier. What, what, what's wrong with Essex? And she said, no, no. You know, Alice worked out at Borley. Right. So now this is another story about my grandmother. When I was very young, I heard of Borley Rectory, the most haunted house in England. And one day I mentioned it to my grandmother, who said, oh, what a load of nonsense. I used to deliver the lemonade there, you know, during the war, by which she went the First World War. 
and I remember the Bull Sisters. And it was a dark old house and it smelt bad, bad drains. And I looked at her and said, but what of the ghosts? And she said, no ghosts. <laughs> that was my grandmother's <laughs> story of bawling rectory. She turned up with a horse and cart and dropped lemonade off there on a regular basis in the summer. And she insisted it had bad drains. And you don't really want to think of the most haunted house in England as being particularly smelly or smelling like a cesspit, do you? No, it got settled in. When you first told me that, I was um, saying, oh, there's going to be a good story here. And then when you said about the trains and that was that, it just she sounds a character. She was, but it, it is such a such a miserable story, isn't it? You know. Anyway, enough. Uh, so she was like, you know, she said it was out near Borley. And the problem is, I can't remember if it was Joyce or Winnie, but mum and one of her friends, they were buggers. They used to cause chaos and cycle all over the countryside and flirt with soldiers and generally have a good time when they were teenagers growing up in the 40s and early 50s. In fact, she married in 50. But let's start with the story properly. So she said, me and my friend, we'd, we'd been riding for a, an hour or two and we'd left Bury and we'd gone south and we turned off at Long Melford and we made our way up near that Borley. And she said, we went up the hill and we went over towards the three villages which are called Belchamp. And I said, oh, yeah, Belchamp, St. Paul, Belchamp, uh, St. Walter. And she said, yeah, that's right. And she said, and then we came to this field and there was a gap in the hedge. And I looked across it and I suddenly said to my friend, I think it was Winnie, look, Winnie, what the hell's that? And we stared and what we saw was something that looked a bit like a, a loaf. It looked like a loaf of bread. It was about the height of a barn or maybe a house and it was dark brown and it was moving across the field towards church in the distance. And as it rolled across the field, we both thought, you know, it was just the wind blowing the soil, but there were crops in the field. And then it struck us that it smelled. And she said it smelled of mimosa. Now, I've got no idea what mimosa was. It's some kind of sweet floral perfume that was popular back in that era, I think. But she said it smelled really sweet. And as she watched it, she said, I knew it wasn't the soil because, you know, I was from the fens. I grew up on the edge of the fens and the breck. And I've seen endless, the wind stirring up the dust. And this seemed really solid. So I said, what do you mean? So she said, well, it, it just wasn't the wind. You could tell. And then the thing that convinced us was halfway across the field, it changed direction. Well, what do you mean? Well, it was going over towards the church and then it turned right and came straight towards the gap in the hedge. And as it came closer, it just kind of rolled towards us. And we could smell it. And then I suddenly... I was terrified and I jumped on my bike and we just rode off. And I said, that's not a ghost story. And she said, no, but I don't know what it was. Mm. <laughs> we looked at one another anyway. Was there so, any noise, CJ? Did it have, was there any noise from the, the cloud? I don't know. And this is the problem is that she told me the story twice in her whole life. And I mean, you know, I used to spend all my time with her, but there were a couple of stories she didn't like to talk about. And I got the impression that this was one of them. That it was something that had unsettled her. But I also got the impression that she just didn't think about it. It was something that she she had forgotten pretty much. And it was only when I talked about ghosts or weird things or UFOs that she'd occasionally think of it as a strange experience. Uh, 
and a friend had died years before. So it was very hard for me to find out any more about him. Anyway, I asked my father if he knew anything about it and he didn't remember mum having said anything about it. And he just laughed and said she was a silly old girl, silly old woman, and uh, that he'd have got less time if he'd murdered her and these usual kind of jokes he used to make. And so I told my friends, as you do. And that was what led us to decide that we were going to drive out, not to Borley, but to a point just beyond. And we got a map and I asked my mother where she thought it was and she showed me. And it was nearer to the Bellchamps than it was to Borley, but you could see across towards where Borley is and the hill in the distance. And I knew very slightly, I had a friend who had a farm out that way. And so we drove out one night and there were three of us in the car. And it's just bizarre because we drove around for ages. Because once you go south of Berry, you've got the kind of golden fields of corn and then, not at this time of year perhaps, then suddenly Essex, as you go over the border up towards Melford and turn right into Fox Earth, it's a much greener country. There are sunken lanes, the hedges close in on you. And there's just a real character change from Pep Marsh all the way across the Store Valley, all the way over towards Sudbury. It just feels different to me. I, I know county borders shouldn't actually feel like that, but Suffolk seems like a just a, a fat, prosperous farmer down the pub having a good time with his mates. Essex is witch country. It's ghost country to me. Maybe I'm just overly imaginative. But this experience certainly didn't help. We drove out. And after we'd been driving through the lanes for a while, we came to what we thought was possibly the place in question. And I mean, we drove and we drove and we drove and we pulled in and there's a few, a big house somewhere in the distance and we can see a church. We hear the church clock striking. I remember that now. And we look over the field and I say, if we walk down here a bit, she must have been somewhere down here we can at least see what she saw and try and work out what it was. You know, though we, of course, have gone at night because we've interpreted the whole thing as a ghost story rather than whatever kind of natural phenomenon she thought it was. So we walk down the road and we find a gap and we stare across. And I think it was a frosty night. I seem to remember the stars were blazing particularly bright, which would suggest that the sky was very clear. And... There are three of us standing side by side. And we're just looking out over a field. It was exactly like any other field. <laughs> I grew up on a farm. And, you know, it wasn't a particularly edifying moment. And then suddenly, I can't remember who saw it first. It might have been me. But somebody notices something on the road just ahead. And we walked up the road a little bit. And we found something I found genuinely disturbing. And I always say it was a rabbit, but it might have been a hare. I, I mean, I didn't examine it. I didn't do any real investigation. But imagine an animal whose legs have been wired together, the hind legs are wired together, and the forelegs have been broken, so it forms the shape of a cross. And there's a circle cut in his stomach, and his entrails have been taken out and arranged in a circle around it. That's what we saw. That is terrifying. It's like the start of a folk horror film. Well, that was what, I mean, you know, our, our reaction was, I don't think I was familiar with the notion of folk. I hadn't even seen The Wicker Man back then. <laughs> but I was absolutely shut up because I, to start with, I think 
we thought it might be, you know how gamekeepers, well, they, I don't know if they still do, but they used to shoot rooks and things and hang them up with nylon, orange nylon twine from, from hedges. And it was called a gamekeeper's gallows. The idea was that if you hung up predators, it stopped other predators from coming to the spot, the smell of decomposition. Mm-hmm. It's really gruesome. And I remember that from my childhood, but I thought it was something like that. And then I wondered if it was some kind of symbol. And it was about that point that we saw a big car, a big dark car, come out of somewhere down the road and start to move towards us. And as the headlights pick us up, we absolutely shat ourselves. I mean, we thought we were being chased by Satanists. I mean, we just, we had no idea what was going on. So we dashed back and we got in the car and we drove and we drove and we drove. And we just got lost, hopelessly lost. But somehow, I'm sure, I mean, if they were chasing us, you know, a bunch of teenagers, not from that area, who'd been driving around for ages, we might well have attracted the attention of local residents who now, who thought we were going to burgle them. And quite reasonably, they decided to come and see what the hell we were up to. But that doesn't explain what we saw in the road. There was no way, absolutely no way whatsoever, that that was roadkill. And I've never seen a fox do that. I mean, you know. It was just. Oh, it sounds staged, doesn't it? It was performative. It was. It was like you know, it had been set there for us to find, but no one knew we were going there. And why would you do it? I mean, if you were going to set something like that up, why would you do it on a lane that was so isolated that probably you know, cars pass down it once every couple of hours, if that? So what happened next? Well, we drove and we drove and we drove. And as we went down towards uh, Fox Earth, we turned north towards, um, we lost whoever this person was behind us. I'm not sure if they were pursuing us or not. I'll never know now. But we lost the car and we found ourselves heading up towards Long Melford. And suddenly the car started to act strangely. And we pull over. And as we pull up, the headlights pick up. Now, Long Milford Church is a beautiful, almost cathedral-sized church uh, near the border of Essex and Suffolk. And it's a wall church. And there's a big graveyard. The gravestones cluster up against the wall, but there's a huge green that leads down into the middle of the town. And we pulled up on the green, and the headlights pick up the gravestones. And the car seems to have this kind of rattling noise or knocking noise coming from underneath, kind of... And it's more dull than that, fud, 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 and it's getting heavier. And we look at one of them and go, what the heck is that? And I'm deliberately not naming my friends. I'm sure they'll name themselves. There are accounts where I give their names on the internet, so I might ask them later if they'll talk as well. Actually, that would make more sense. But but mainly because we were all felt like such dicks after this, because suddenly the car's shaking really, really violently. And we're like, oh, what the hell? And... You've got to bear in mind, I'm only 18 years old and I've never experienced anything like this before in my life. And I get out of the car and I run to the phone box. And as I'm getting out of the car, there's a huge explosion, or it seems that way to me. And the bonnet shoots up. And I mean, I was shitting myself. I phoned my father and said, Dad, 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 can you come and pick us up? The car's been possessed by demons. And we're about half an hour later, Dad turns up and takes a look at the car and says, Okay. So what's happened is the radiator has just boiled over. The radiator cap has shot up. Why is the radiator boiled over? Well, when you look underneath, you're missing the sump. And I think the sump is some kind of oil reservoir. 
So the car's taken to the garage where it's investigated and the garage mechanic doesn't help when he tells us that someone had gone under the car and unscrewed the sump. He said it hasn't been knocked off because if it had, the bolts would have sheared off. But if you imagine the sheer terror of sitting in a car where you've got this loud knocking noise and then the radiator just explodes, knocks the bonnet up. It's just... It's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. So at this point, we cease to take it seriously. The whole ghost story, the whole strange cloud, the the weird rabbit, it all just faded away into our own stupidity. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. Yeah. (laughs) So we're now laughing about it. And so suddenly it's not hard anymore, whereas most of my friends have been a bit skeptical about (laughs) would never have gone back after the first experience suddenly we decide okay we're idiots yeah it's all explicable okay so somebody killed a rabbit and left it in the ground well that is not in itself particularly bizarre is it i mean you know some kind of weirdo and at the end of the day it is it is what it is you know so we decide we're going to go back and on this occasion, when we're going back, we are more prepared. We, we know where we're going. We check things out. We're pretty sure it's going to be okay. And I think there might have been two times we go back and don't find it. We can't find our way back to the same location. But there's a place that we came to call the Garish Pub because it's got the kind of the kind of lights, the kind of bright coloured lights that you that you find at seaside promenades and things like that outside. And it's a fantastic little pub out in Essex, at one of the bell shops. And we used to stop there and have a drink and talk to the locals. And we heard some stories and we chatted about things. And <clears throat> because I've always been sceptical about Borley, that tends to go on quite, go down quite well with people from around Borley and Acton and that area. Hariqui sceptical and fed up with ghost hunters heading up there all the time. We didn't announce we were ghost hunters for that reason. But then the story becomes a bit grimmer. And on the night in question, we decided that we would finally get to the bottom of the mystery and we'd push on down to where the church was. And so we were in Belchamp St. Paul and we drove down. And as we were driving down, was it Belchamp? Yeah, we're, we're driving down a lane. And we make our way down to where the original incident has occurred, as far as we could work out. But bear in mind that our navigation was absolutely appalling. Uh, Dave, who was driving on this occasion, he couldn't tell left from right at the age of 20. And so the people in the back who had the map and they had an atlas in those days, we didn't have sat navs, would navigate with a torch. And when they decided which way we had to turn, they had to shout Dave's side or Chris's side. And once we nearly ended up in a hedge because they both shouted both Dave's side and Chris's side and no one, he didn't know which way to turn. Anyway, we eventually found our way out and we drove down this lane and we came to crossroads, T-junction, crossroads with a lane going on uh, near a corner. And we pulled in and there was a gate, just an ordinary five-bar gate ahead of us. So we pulled the car off to one side And we started to walk down towards the church. And that was one of the strangest experiences, because as we walked down the lane, darkness seemed to close in around us. And it was really, really uncanny just how intense it felt suddenly. And I remember Axel turning around and saying, 
who's he? And ahead of us, there was a chap. He was sitting on a horse. And I think there was a younger man, a boy, holding the reins of the horse standing in front of him. And he had a hat and a cloak. And if you imagine someone sitting on a horse, but hunched slightly forwards. Now, we're seeing this in the darkness. It's a very dark night on a dark lane of trees. But he's just standing by the by the crossroads. And we're just looking at it and thinking, what the hell? And then with that typical of this story, I mean, the whole way through it, it goes from eerie to comic in seconds because we run, we panic. I mean, we don't stop to ask questions. We assume he's a real person. We assume he belongs around there. But then there's something about it that just feels wrong and we break. And as soon as we run, as teenagers often do, we sprint back to the car. And as we get into the car and we slam the car door, two things happen. The I think it's the driver's side window fell into the car. <laughs> this is a Fiat 124. It wasn't well maintained, so maybe that kind of thing can happen. But it just it just fell down inside. And as the people jump in the back, I'm the last one in because I'm trying to I'm in the front and they have to get past, you know, have to pull the door open. It's only a two-door car. And as we're trying to pull the car door shut, the door came off the hinge. So we drive away in terror through those lanes at a ridiculous speed. I'm surprised we weren't killed while I'm hanging onto the door and can't get my safety belt on in the dark. So I'm just hanging on, trying to hold the door upright and keep the door shut. And once I get it closed, it stays in position. And that was it. After that, we weren't going back. Now, every teenager has a story about some weird experience, I think, where they went out with their friends, legend tripping. And legend tripping is an important part of growing up. But those experiences seem to be more profound sometimes than anything that happens to us later. Is it down to hormones? Is it down to us not being able to interpret what's going on in the world? Is it down to the fact that we're taking pretty young girls out and there's a kind of sexual fruition and it's a way of trying to, you know, it's a kind of dating thing. I don't know. This wasn't like that. This was just guys, actually. And I certainly didn't feel that way towards any of them. But it was, it was, anyway, cut forwards to the summer. Here, it's six months later. I've forgotten the whole thing. I've told my friend Dave Sevier about it at uni and he's laughed at me and everybody I've told has thought it was really funny. And they just think that, you know, the rabbit was admittedly unusual, but they're saying whatever you saw that night, it was just your imagination. It wasn't real. You know, why do you take these things seriously? And it was a hot, sunny afternoon. I was coming back on the 747, which used to run from Plymouth to Great Yarmouth. It was a National Express bus. I was in Cheltenham, uh, which is where I was a student. And I went into a bookshop and I saw a copy of M.R. James, Ghost Stories of an Antiquary. I'd heard of it because I'd read about it in Lovecraft, one of Lovecraft's essays. And I'd never read, as far as I know, any M.R. James. I'd never really been into ghost stories because I scare so easily at that point. But I said, OK, I'm going to, you know, I've got a long coach journey. I'm going to get this. And it was the amusing coach, Jen. I've never forgotten it because I was sitting next to a blonde haired girl who turned out to be a model. So she told me and she had a copy of Cosmo and she was flipping through it. And 
I was trying to read and every few pages she was drawing my attention to another article and thinking, asking what I thought while slyly sipping from a, uh, a bottle of vodka and clearly quite happy. And so I ended up talking to her in a kind of embarrassed, rather stiff way while worrying if my deodorant would hold out in the heat and <laughs> kind of not wanting to, you know, embarrass myself. I was horrified by it, actually. I was terrified of this woman, I think. And it got as far as Oxford and she got off at the skating rink. There was a temporary coach stop there. And I just keep reading and I'm flipping through the book. And I realized that James came from Suffolk and grew up near where I did. And it was an incredibly strange experience to think, oh, this, you know, actually I would have been his next door neighbor if I'd been born a century before. He was at Livermere. I was on Colford Heath. Anyway, I'm reading his one of his best ghost stories, Count Magnus, which starts in Sweden. The, uh, the narrator of the story, Mr. Raxel, is pursued back by a horror across the North Sea, a journey I made many times as a child, being going from Denmark to England on the Harwich Ferry. And from Harwich, he cuts inland. And I'm going to pick up the story there because this is the passage I read and I found it really strange. Oh, hopefully, it'll become clear why. On reaching England, it appears Mr. Raxel landed at Harwich. And as he resolved at once to put himself out of the reach of some person or persons whom he never specifies, but whom he'd evidently come to regard as his pursuers. Accordingly, he took a vehicle. It was a closed fly, not trusting the railway and drove across country to the village of Belchamp St. Paul. It was about nine o'clock on a moonlit August night when he neared the place. He was sitting forward, looking out of the window at the fields and thickets. There was little else to be seen racing past him. Suddenly, he came to a crossroad. At the corner, two figures were standing motionless. Both were in dark cloaks. The taller one wore a hat, the shorter a hood. He had no time to see their faces, nor did he make any. Nor did they make any motion that he could discern. Yet the horse shied violently and broke into a gallop. And Mister Raxall sat back in his seat, in something like desperation. He had seen them before. Well, that's so close in many ways to what we saw. In the same location as well. Yeah, but how can you see a fictional ghost? And you saw it before you read it, so it wasn't like it had any... Was it ever done as a ghost story for Christmas? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if Count Magnus has ever been filmed. I'm assuming it probably has been, but I don't recall having ever seen it. There were five of us there that night. And did any of them know James's story? I don't know. I didn't know it. I'm absolutely certain I hadn't read it because I would have remembered it. The only James story that I have in any of my childhood books, and luckily I kept them all, is Rats, which I think is one of his weakest stories. So how the hell do you explain seeing a ghost that never existed? I don't know. We were young. We were teenagers. But that moment when we sat in the car... And it was banging and shaking and something was scratching underneath as it sounded like. And then the bonnet shot up. That that will haunt me forever. Okay, so that was CJ's story. What do you think, Elsa? I mean, you took a photo of me during that where I look absolutely horrified. So I think that gave you a good impression of what I thought of the story. I'll put that picture on Instagram. 
I made notes whilst we were listening. So first of all, I love that his grandmother described Borley as bad smelling. <laughs> yeah. Um, it did make me think of like sometimes people say that uh, bad smells indicate demonic presence. But I do know his grandma was like, no ghosts. No ghosts. Like, no absolutely. Ghosts. No ghosts. <laughs> I just like imagining this, this tiny little lady going, no ghosts. Yes. <laughs> um, and then my other note was mimosas. Mimosas. <laughs> I don't that think was... it's the cocktail. I think there was... A... I'm going to have to investigate what... Um, like, I, I drink them, but I don't... I mean, a mimosa is an orange. It was also yeah. the name for perfume. Okay. And I think it was a very sickly, very sweet smell. Oh, that's really interesting. Because I grew up around this area and I grew up around farmland a lot. And you do sometimes smell things that are quite sweet and sickly around. It's mostly decomposing vegetation. Mm. And I'm really sorry, Casper's really having a go at his little banana in the background and you might hear some really weird noises. <laughs> yes, this is the first time we've recorded in the same room. Normally it's over Zoom, so... <laughs> And when I say little banana, he has a banana toy that he's playing with. It's He's not playing with his little banana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the rotting vegetation can sometimes smell like um, quite sweet and sickly. But that, that cloud, that was interesting. There was something that um, when I was recording this with CJ, Jack said, my husband, wondered if it could be farm machinery, like a combine harvester, mm. That, especially yeah. with the loaf shape. Yeah, that is actually with the, really true. Yeah. However, I did, after the recording, I did ask CJ that, and he said, they grew, he grew up on a farm, so they were mm. farming people. She would have heard it and known it. That is a good, uh, that's a good point, actually, because those combine harvesters are loud. I remember them from when I was a kid, and they are deafening. Like, yeah. Which is the 40s and the 50s, and he said as well, there wouldn't have been much farming like heavy machinery around there anyway they were still oh, no. doing a lot by horse and they were like hand tilling still yeah so, so i don't think it was no. that so we have tried to i've been very good i've been th- <laughs> i had my skeptic hat on and well done. <laughs> I, I, i'd be proud of me so i'm always proud of you <laughs> but yeah i can't explain that and the rabbit yeah what the oh it made me the thing he was talking about as well about the farmer's gallows that was very familiar to me. I mean, where I went to school, the school is no longer there. It's actually taken over by a cult. We'll get back to that later. <laughs> we'll come back to that later. Uh, so I'm probably, I'm not going to say the name actually, because I don't want people going out there going, I'm going to find this cult that took over a middle school. But around, it was in the middle of the countryside and there were always crows. They were like hung to look like they were flying low over the fields. And that was just a regular sight around that. I mean, and it looks pretty damn witchy. It's weird to see um, but we were so used to it, like driving, getting on the bus to school and you just see a bunch of dead crows hanging on the side of the road. But, the, I mean, if that had been in a field... That was in... Oh, yeah, I mean, that was... And this is in the middle of a road. Yeah. And not many people, I imagine, would have stopped where they had stopped. They only stopped because of what his mother had seen. So I imagine if any car was going down there, it wouldn't be stopping and it wouldn't be seen. It would probably be run over and no one would see it. Mm. And the fact that there was a car waiting to see who was there. Do you know what it reminded me of? Hereditary. Yeah. You know where they ha- he has that accident and where the camera lingers afterwards after oh, his... Oh, don't make me think I, of I that part. <laughs> yeah, I won't spoil it, but that grim part... Yes, yeah. ...with the car accident, there's that symbol on the telegraph pole. Yes, of course. 
it so reminded me of that. I mean, this whole story smacks of folk horror. Do you know, it reminded me a little bit as well of Hot Fuzz, you know, the, the oh, whole village. The whole like, village. Yeah. It's kind of in on it. Well, I, I consider Hot Fuzz a folk horror. Yeah, I mean, it definitely fits into the folk horror genre. So and it, that was, it was a kind of a little bit making me think of it all the way through. Also, I got a little bit of sort of like ghost hunting in between us. Especially with the the car falling to bits. Well, do you know what? Can you get? Can you think of what I thought of with that? What? What was that? Vehicles falling apart and yeah, failing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, if anybody hasn't listened to episode two, I hope this doesn't spoil it. But we did talk about uh, witches in Essex, and the village I picked was Canudon. And nearly all the accounts spoke of how the supposed witches had this power over vehicles Mm -hmm. and horse-drawn carriages even bikes and then later cars it was said they could use their eyes to break down machinery even um george pickingill the cunning man used to be hired to stop him breaking down farm machinery they used to pay him to go away when they were harvesting (laughs) so covens were disbanded in the six in the 60s so this took place in 87 now they were disbanded but those people who practiced and their the next generation might still live in that area. I mean, it does sound as if they came across something that was perhaps not meant for them, but they stumbled across something that had been not staged. It's really hard to explain. I know that feeling, though. Like, he was talking about legend tripping. Now, this is a a word I've actually only heard today, and it's the second time I've heard it today in two different contexts. But I understand what, what it's meant by that. Like, me and my friends, when we were kids, we used to run around the whole village looking for places that felt weird or places where we'd heard something had happened. There's a very famous story in in the the village I grew up in about a husband, no, was it a wife who tried to kill her husband with a lawnmower? And we didn't know any of the details of it, but we would make up, like, stories about this and, like, Every time we got to a place where we thought was a bit spooky, we'd kind of go, oh, maybe this is where the body's buried. There was no bodies involved. Like, everybody survived that, apparently. But it was quite a famous story that people knew of at the time. But it's that feeling of walking into somewhere and suddenly the world is not right. And I don't know why, as a teenager, that feels more strong than ever at that point in your life. It's, mm. yeah... What were you looking? You trying to find out where this guy murdered, where this woman tried to murder her husband? No, I was just, <laughs> I was just typing in Bellchamp. I mean, what, what I thought of, as well as the, um, the car breaking down, mm. the spectre, the, or if it was a spectre, what they saw at the crossroads. Now, we're talking highwayman country as well. Yes, and they were, like we said in the last episode, were given a roadside burial at crossroads. So that's where my mind went. If it was something supernatural or paranormal. Could it have been... Somebody buried at a crossroads. Someone buried at a crossroads. I I actually walked around there recently. I mean, it wasn't recently, it was last year. And I remember walking through... I think we must have gone through one of the Bellchamps because we walked to the Bordy Rectory. But it is a very strange place. Like that feeling I just said about walking into somewhere and you know it's not quite... It might be because one of the villages we walked into... It was just covered with swans. They were they were basic. You could not move for swans. Wow. Um, but it did have that feeling of like something you just walked into, and you're not really sure like what's going on here. It feels like you're a stranger walking into uh, into the middle of a conversation. Yeah. Like 
And I wonder if it's something to do with maybe the community or maybe the place. You know, I'm, I'm still a skeptic, but I do believe that you can walk into somewhere and get a bad feeling or mm. a good feeling. Mm. And it kind of had that feeling of like, like I said, you've walked into a conversation that strangers are having. Yeah. Well, um, that's how he described it, actually. He was, after telling me the story, CJ was a nerve, uh, talking about it again, because that same feeling came back, yeah. that he, he saw something he wasn't supposed to see. And actually, I, I know I've already talked, told you this but I can tell you again I was going to ask you if you mm. wanted to talk about this after I recorded this with CJ I was listening back to the last couple of bits in the kitchen and was thinking again about the rabbit and how that could have been a poor tent you know lots of animals especially birds um, are used as ill omens and then I thought to myself oh I'll look at rabbits and hares maybe there's something specific to that area and then as I pressed I, I closed my phone down as I looked up Two birds flew into the kitchen window so hard they've actually left an imprint. I've taken a picture of it, I'll put it on Instagram. And I was so scared. <laughs> so that I was alone in the house at the time when I was recording. And yeah, they flew into the window and I cracked myself. <laughs> I was so scared. That is a normal reaction though to, to, to birds flying into the window because you don't expect it to happen and then when it does it's what and you've just listened to this really scary Creepy story. story. And then later that night I I had a very bad back so my husband said he would sleep on the sofa and I could have the bed to myself because I needed to stretch out. So I was alone in the room and I could hear this tapping on the window. It was like this. And I thought, again, trying to be sensible, I thought it's probably the pipes because we put the heating on because it suddenly got flipping freezing here in Essex. And I went over to the radiator. It wasn't coming from the radiator. It was coming from the panes of glass outside. So I put my hand on the window and you could feel it like reverberate. But wherever it was doing it, it would then do it somewhere else. And it would start on another pane of glass. Weird. And that happened for about 10 minutes and... I was really tired and in pain. And I just said, oh, look, I'm, I'm too tired for this. If you want a reaction, go and haunt somewhere else. I'm not in the mood. And it stopped. <laughs> it stopped. You have the power to tell ghosts to piss off. <laughs> I do, apparently. Um, but this was all after I heard the story in the same night. Oh, um, my gosh. And, you know, we're, we're in a modern house. It's not exactly old. And well, I wasn't thinking about it. did you have that weird thing with um, Arthur in that house? Yes, I did, which so, I talked about in that episode. Yes. Mm. So that was weird... <laughs> creep me out quite a bit but also I mean the bit where he talks about how they were trying to rationalize what happened to the car mm. and then the mechanic saying no this this didn't someone unscrewed I don't know I can't, I'm, I'm no mechanic and I have no interest in mechanics I can't remember what was unscrewed but the some, sump wasn't yeah, yeah like imagine somebody being under your car whilst you're maybe feet away from it or if they were under the car or it was the power of these I don't know, it just, it, for me, it, it feels like one of those folk horrors where there's an outsider that comes into a village. Yeah. And... Hot fuzz. Hot fuzz, <laughs> the wicker man. Yeah. Um, you know, that there's it, or apostle. It's, it, mm. There's all these tropes of this folk horror where, like, the outsiders are and go into this sort of cult, almost, atmosphere. And there's this secret I, society. I don't know whether I find it weird, like, scarier that the powers that maybe be unscrewed his oil cap or whatever or whether somebody with connections to a community that maybe have been doing something a bit unsavory got under this guy's car and 
tried to basically screw his car up and make, but like that could have that killed, could have him. killed them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, either way, it's creepy and it's eerie, which is our wheelhouse. Yes, we are all about that eerie feeling. We are. <laughs> Let me see what my uh, the the Mr. James connection. That is interesting because mm. it it makes you wonder whether Mr. James was hearing these stories and turning them into ghost stories or whether like weaving them into his tales yeah whether he took inspiration for something that he'd he'd heard as a child growing up in that area it's i mean I'm, i i need to read more mr james really but i even when he was saying that it sounded familiar to me so i just wondered whether mr it had been going on as long as that that maybe mr james had heard rumors of maybe a you know people seeing this person yeah I mean, it's so creepy that it was Belchamp. I mean, there's loads of villages. He could have. I mean, he could have made up a name like Zebra in um, oh, what do you call it? Oh, a warning to the curious. He gave mm. it a fictional name. The fact that he actually named it as well yeah. is interesting. Maybe he'd been there and been like, "Well, this place feels weird. I'm just going to use the actual name." Yeah. So people won't be disappointed if they decide to come here after reading my story. They'll actually get to feel a bit weird, weirded out. I mean, as well as CJ telling the story I was obviously recording him and we were on zoom and I could see that he was you know you could just tell by someone's body language that he yeah. was uncomfortable still thinking about He's it worrying. I mean, there was like this like thing going on in his head of rationality versus what happened in that feeling because as I, I've had um paranormal experiences and I always tell people look I can't describe to you the feeling I'll tell you what happened but but also that thing he said about the feeling fading afterwards. I thought about what I, the story I told in the last episode, that I'd seen this this thing and that I was laughing about it, but you were kind of like, what? Yes. Um, because for me, I'd seen it and I'd rationalised sort of it. eldritch horror. <laughs> I, I'd rationalised it. An eldritch horror in a high-vis jacket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rationalised it. I'd gotten through it. And then it had become funny. And the way he told that story, to him, he, he's a brilliant storyteller, and he was making it funny. Like, that's how you get through these You do, you have to see the where, funny side yeah, of it. These times where you're not sure what's happened, or maybe you've been scared stiff, you get through it by just, later on, it's so funny to you. Well, I think when I tell my story, which I will share with our listeners, perhaps if we ever do a Poltergeist episode, but when I tell people the story about my demonic encounter... Mm. I can see them, like, sitting in front of me, like, grey, and thinking, what the <laughs> hell? And I'm just like, oh, yeah, this happened. And then that happened, laughing about it. But I have to say, I've only ever heard bits and pieces of Bethan's demonic story, um, and I'm really excited to hear it as well. I'm going to keep that for you. Um, so next year, if we do a Poltergeist episode, I will share with our listeners that story. But, yeah, it's it's so ridiculous sometimes that you have to laugh at it. I mean... As well as CJ was trying to, you know, see the funny side of it. And it was funny, some of it. You can imagine these teenage boys. It sounded like the in-betweeners. It did, ghostly (laughs) in-betweeners. They sounded quite fun to hang out with. Yeah. And also, um, at the beginning of CJ's story, he did talk about um, an experience he had in Norfolk at Thetford Priory. If anybody wants to hear that story, it's in an interview with Weird Norfolk. I think it's episode 71. Um, it's the one that says um, some, they go for a picnic at Thetford Priory and they talk about the story. Yes, I think I've heard that one. Yes. And it's a great story. I'm well <laughs> jealous that that happened in Norfolk. Shifa and Stacia have um, 
got a good one there and it's a time slip story but interesting that it was a he said it was a few months after what happened at Thetford this story happened so it seemed to set off a chain of events it's like almost if you once you've seen something yeah it sort of opens your eyes you're more likely to find other things I remember when me and my friends were kids like riding our bicycles through the village at night we saw lights in the sky and it was like dead like the village it was a little village you no cars no nothing and we followed these lights in the sky thinking oh my god it's a ufo we're going to see a ufo and we got further and further out and we realized somebody was having an illegal rave out in one of the fields which sounds just as exciting actually (laughs) yeah when you're like 12 and 13 that is you know that's the pinnacle of excitement (laughs) (laughs) but i think it's our first listener story that's a cracker yeah I loved it. And here's the inspiration to send in your own listener stories, whether you want to record like CJ or whether you want us to read your story out loud, we'd be really happy to hear from you. Our email address is eerieessexpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram. You can drop us a message on our Eerie Essex platform. We have had a couple of people email us on our personal accounts. We're worried we might miss it because it seems to go into our spam. If you need to get in contact with us, please use the Eerie Essex one because it might we might miss it and we don't want to miss it. No. And also we are now on Twitter. We are. We have expanded to Twitter. The empire is expanding. And as ever, if you've enjoyed listening to this, please leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. And oh, have you got any podcasts you want to recommend? I can't think of one for every single month. <laughs> Can I say one? Because yeah, go ahead. I, there's one that I'm, I'm loving listening to at the moment Lawmen podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. James Shakeshaft and Alistair Beckett King. Look at folklore of Britain, but they are hilarious. They take the mick out of it. It's oh, really funny. It is so funny. If, you, if you've listened to a fair few creepy stories and you need something light, but you still want to listen to that same subject, I highly recommend them because they are just, they're like a tonic. It, you, Finish watching it, listen to it. And, and his, um, his uh, YouTube video on uh, spooky podcasters is so funny and I, so on point. Yeah, Alistair's ruined spooky podcasts for <laughs> me because now all I hear is what he's done. So, yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> but we hope you enjoyed this episode. We will see you again sooner than January because we are currently planning and about to record a big Christmas special. We are teaming together. This is why you got a bonus episode now, because in hopefully a few weeks, we will be releasing something much bigger than we've done before. We are teaming up with Folkways, a good friend of ours, Ashley, who does this amazing podcast. I think we recommended it in the first episode. Mm -hmm. It's an immersive, meditative journey Um, She leads you through different tales of Britain, but almost like someone taking you by the hand and you're you're in that place with her. It's very good. So a very different style to to how we do our podcast. And we thought it'd be interesting to join forces. So please join us for Christmas and ghost stories around a fireplace. Also, you should check out Ashley's music. I think she's just had something on um, the radio. She has under the name Polly Preacher. What was it called? It was a Halloween... It, it was, was a Halloween it one. Was, you give me the spooks, that's what it's called. Perfect, yes. And it's, yeah, lovely, lovely uh, song that I've been listening to. Yeah, so earlier today we were in Maiden Found, a lovely cafe in Colchester. We highly recommend it. 
because it's cosy and it served lovely food and I had a very nice latte with cinnamon in it. And we had one of the um, one of the waitresses approach us and was uh, a fan, a fan of the podcast. First time that's happened. Yes, <laughs> we felt famous. <laughs> so yeah, we've got something really good lined up for you. So hope you're all staying safe, and we'll see you later this month. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>